0: Yeah, I don't know, man. You ever just feel like life is just catapulting towards some
1: greater purpose?
2: The only DJ crazy enough
1: to tattoo Jackie Brown on his ass. This is Michael Mann, and I ride with Extended Clip.
3: Welcome to Extended Clip. I'm one of your hosts, Eddie Averill. I'm Malcolm Baum.
2: I'm JT White,
3: and calling in all the way from the Great North, from the Six, uh, the, the the. the man who invented actually calling Toronto the six uh the first man to also have two podcasts it's uh returning champion
4: Will Sloan thanks uh just great pleasure to be, to be back uh, never thought I would be back um yeah yeah that's all there is to it <coughs> <that. coughs> a- after I recorded you know a heartfelt you know farewell to extended clip for your final episode I mean I don't know it's great it's great to be back well, I mean,
2: with two podcasts, you know, this industry is like a drug. It's like you can't get enough. You want to let it go and then just, it, it has a hold of you.
4: Well, I'm sure, I'm sure you guys found that without a podcast, like, what are you? You're just a person on Twitter, you know?
3: Oh, God. Well, that's one of the worst things you can be. Right. <laughs> I mean, I literally, I. To be uh, completely honest, I pretty much only still am a guy on Twitter because I have a podcast. Yeah. If this went away forever,
0: I'm gone. Mm,
2: I got a good job. I, I don't know. I got know. friends.
0: A lot of people say How that. lot are people going to shout at you in the real world, though? <laughs> <laughs> I a lot of people say that. A lot of people say they'd be gone, but it seems like people, they tend to stick around. That's all I say. I, people tend to stick around. Well, I hate that this has become a common refrain to say on the show, but... This is not
3: a Twitter podcast, <laughs> and we got to get back to the movies. The double feature this week in Timeline A, as we're moving forward, uh, is Beyond a Reasonable Doubt, the final Hollywood film by Fritz Lang from 1956, and in Timeline B, we are moving backwards into the 80s, and we are watching Kamikaze Hearts by Juliet. B. Bashore? Is that how you say the last name there? Bashore? I believe that's
4: correct. Bashore. Bashore. Yeah.
3: All right. Uh, So, Will, I I, I was going to ask you why you wanted to pair these films and bring them to the podcast, but this is just such a... We were watching this. Me and Malcolm were watching these yesterday. We were like, this is such a Will Sloan double feature. It's like a a B-movie late style of a great auteur, you know, super stripped down, and also a movie about sex where you see a lot of people having sex and stuff like that, but it's also, like, about porn filmmaking and it's like this is this is a will sloan special if i've ever seen one
4: yeah man you got it i mean there's no um, there's no thematic link between the two movies it's exact The the reasons that you cited are exactly the reasons that i chose these movies <laughs> and in particular the second one i mean whenever i'm invited on a podcast and i'm given sort of like free reign to choose the movies i'm always looking for something either pornographic or like porn adjacent <laughs> uh, because i i feel like i can only i can only bust that stuff out you know uh, every now and then on my main podcast uh yeah so you know i have to you know b- before the co-hosts you know get upset at me so so yeah that's that's why i do it here
3: yeah you have to spread your seed a little bit and then you know <laughs> save the good stuff for yeah, uh yeah one you know say. the ones
0: that you share your life with yeah <laughs> You can't sometimes the people you you're closest with you can't talk about porn all the time with them they kind of start to get upset.
3: <laughs> well, it's like what you love. It's like I, you know, I don't I don't you know i'm not opening up basketball reference and showing it to my girlfriend i'm not like look at look at the per this is crazy just like will isn't talking to his girlfriend or his co-hosts every single day about uh hardcore gay and lesbian pornography
4: but like, i hope i hope yeah. well i mean it's <laughs> between it's between the lines in most of what i say but not like
1: yeah. <laughs> not exactly
4: articulated
2: <laughs>
3: Uh, so let's let's uh, start with Beyond a Reasonable Doubt. This is, as we said, the final Hollywood film by Fritz Lang before uh, he went back to the great continent, as it were, another uh, way. And we, we've talked about some even later Fritz Lang uh, with The Thousand Eyes of Dr. Mabuse, uh, like maybe a year and a half, two years ago on this podcast. And this one feels even more stripped down than that one. Like that one, it feels like he's kind of vamping back up the the like architectural. Uh, like expressionistic kind of visual style. This one is just so threadbare studio sets. Uh, It's still visually intriguing, of course, like he's never going to make a visually boring movie, but man, this is like really just the bare essentials of what you want in like a crime drama by old man Fritz Lang in 80 minutes, huh?
4: Yeah, I mean, I was intrigued by this movie ever since... I read James Baldwin's The Devil Needs Work, where he referred to it as an utterly shameless apology for American justice, the film of a defeated man. And I thought, (laughs) wow, that that sounds interesting. And I mean, it's a movie that I really think the form and the content are very much in harmony. It revisits a lot of themes from other Fritz Lang movies, particularly the American movies like Fury Mm. and Scarlet Street. Um, And as you pointed out, pretty much the first thing that everybody notices about this movie is it's it's so flat looking, it's so over lit. And yeah, there's pretty much every scene is just like three people in a room, one next to the (laughs) other. You know, this is the man who made Metropolis and he's making this. And, you know, I think I think that style very much suits the subject matter.
3: And I think it's it, it, it makes sense, too, for him going back to a slightly more expressionistic style later on after he leaves Hollywood. You know, this is like his last grasp at Hollywood, as you said, uh, quoting that James Baldwin essay, you know, a, a film of a defeated man. Uh, this is just like as bare as
0: you can possibly get, Malcolm. You you'd seen this one before, right? Yeah, and it, it really it didn't. I I didn't quite remember it, and to be honest, I I ended up liking it a lot more this time around than I remember. I remember I, I pretty much liked it the first time around, but I don't know. I found there's just more to this, and I I I feel like you know it is it is kind of obvious how you know it's flat and it is like you know kind of uh by the numbers in in some sense but i feel like it is like kind of high-end studio sets like it is like he does have the luxury of you know even though he's uh what baldwin called what a defeated man he's you know he's in his defeat he's doing a little bit better than a lot of other directors (laughs) at the end of their career and uh and and I feel like, you know, even kind of the small things here, kind of like, even the coverage, I, I feel like Lang kind of finds great ways to do... A lot with little turning main shots into two shots, kind of just very small details that just uh, elevate the level of the film.
3: Mm -hmm. Well, also a lot of the great auteurs of the studio era, their late films weren't in the fifth. Like they didn't have the filmmaking resources of the studios in the 50s. Like this is 1956 is pretty early when you think about like late films and like stripped down style and stuff like that uh there's still like obviously the rko house style overseeing everything uh and lang is still you know smuggling art into studio work you know he's working at rko and that also is why this film looks uh just the actual frame looks like it does it's in rko scope which is a very one of those very stupid aspect ratios from the 50s when like scope and anamorphic lensing came around and you know. Because of that, theaters were getting refitted. And because of that, a lot of films that were shot flat were protected for multiple aspect ratios going from the, you know, taller Academy ratio all the way to, you know, 185, like a TV screen nowadays to something like this, where it's like pretending to be scope. And like on a TV, you have small black and bars on the top and bottom and it's a very like cropped look and everything looks a little cramped and uh it's it's not beautiful i got to say <laughs> it, like it it really doesn't
4: allow the framing to be what it should be really in addition to that, the lighting is so harsh. Like, oh yeah, everything it, it looks like a it looks like it's bleached. There's very little play of like light and shadow in this movie. Uh, to some extent, I think a lot of 1950s B noirs looked kind of like that. I mean, mm-hmm. Lang's The Big Heat has a bit of that flat look as well. But this one yeah. just takes it to takes it to another level. And um, I was. I was reading, I was just flipping through Patrick McGilligan's biography of Fritz Lang. And, you know, many critics over the years have like talked about how um, the the style of this movie, because it's so kind of drab and straightforward, it's about nothing but its own subject. I think that's what Gilbert Mm -hmm. Adair said. Uh, Patrick McGilligan was less generous. He said, The truth is, Lang's, Lang approached the start of photography burdened with his own growing despair and a mounting hatred of the producer he was forced to rely upon to succeed. The fighting and arguments that in the past had always been thrilling no longer seemed like challenges worth meeting. Lang knew his career was all but over. He no longer <laughs> had the appetite for the fray. Now, Um, I think McGillian is sort of suggesting that the movie looks looks like this because he sort of half assed it. But I I think even if that's the case, I don't I don't actually believe that. But even if that's the case, Mm. I think that works in harmony with just the spirit of the movie, which spends the whole spends like 90 percent of itself presenting itself as one kind of social issue movie. And then just pulls the rug out (laughs) from under you, Uh, like, uh, uh, like pisses and spits on you.
3: JT, had you seen this one before?
2: no i hadn't and it's just like kind it's like a weak script but i think in like one of my favorite ways that like a script can kind of be bad or like go off the rails like just having like major like un like unexpected turns and things <laughs> like that it's just like i don't know it's good like pulpy material and i like just the way lang is able to mine that and just like have it like i don't know like what will is saying like I feel like it's pretty straightforward in terms of like, oh, for most of the movie, you're thinking it's like one thing. And that like you're you're anticipating a twist of some sort where it's just like, OK, they're like a guy is framing himself for a murder he didn't commit. Like, wh- how is this going to go awry? And I feel like the obvious turn is initially it's just like, oh, the his co-conspirator is like setting him up. But just the way it goes off the rails in terms of, like, getting into a car accident that, like, sets the whole car on fire, it's just, like, there are just moments of, like, pure delirium that are fantastic.
3: Yeah, I mean, and we've been talking around the subject matter quite a bit, and JT kind of got into it there. So the film is about uh, Dana Andrews. He plays a novelist who wants to write a film about – or, sorry, he wants to write a novel because he's a novelist, about uh, capital punishment.
1: You get engaged to my daughter, and all you can think about is capital punishment? No, really, I'm serious, Austin. I haven't been able to get it out of my mind. You mean then that you agree with me about capital punishment? Well, I'm not sure about that, but the idea that, that an innocent man could be executed kind of bothers me. It might be a good subject for a book. Oh, a book, a fictitious story, wouldn't prove anything. It can only be proven by a fact. That no one could deny. How? By having someone whose innocence I knew and could prove, arrested, tried and convicted for a murder he didn't commit. And so it's like, oh, this
3: is gonna be a social issue movie. Capital punishment. He's gonna undercover the, the rot at the the core of the US legal system, that is capital punishment. Uh, which they definitely don't have anymore anywhere because uh, this is such an old movie. And uh, <laughs> so he, you know, gangs up with his future stepfather. Like, he's uh, engaged to this woman. And essentially, he's like, all right, babe, let's get married, but not yet. First, I'm going to frame myself for a murder to expose, uh, the, like, the moral corruption that is... Uh, the, the death penalty in America and then we're gonna, like, I'm, I'm gonna get out of it because your dad's gonna be the
0: witness. But he doesn't tell her that.
3: Yeah, it, it, no, he doesn't tell her that, he just says wait up, I gotta write this book, yeah. but that's his plan, uh, and your dad's gonna be the witness to everything, and we're gonna be, like, the the most morally superior artists of all time basically. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and it's it's gonna rule. Uh, and it's also, like, an easy filmmaking metaphor too. It's like, oh, well, uh, maybe what does it mean like uh, if, you, if you make a perfect crime film you could commit a crime maybe uh, I don't think it goes that far but I think there is a filmmaking <coughs> metaphor there with the way that uh, Dana Andrews and the father-in-law character are staging this evidence and like taking these pictures of him in compromising positions and stuff like that and uh, I think that is one of the more fun parts of the film before the back half makes it much more uh, courtroom bound and just like really squeezing all of the juice out of the script that you can.
4: You know, uh, I also just want to pause on Dana Andrews as the main character, the novelist who frames himself, because I read that when he made the film Dana Andrews was uh, deep in one of the lowest ebbs of alcoholism, and he and Fritz Lang uh, really didn't get along. He was showing up to the set drunk all the time and um, I, I feel like, I feel like that adds to the atmosphere of the movie. Uh, Dana Andrews, of course, was a favorite of like the oturist critics, because he was in mm-hmm. every, you know, every critic, every movie, or every filmmaker who the French critics later loved, like Turner and Preminger. Lang uh many others I'm forgetting and there was nothing about his presence that really distracted from the mise-en-scene you know like, <laughs> like the, he, he's he's so kind of straightforward and that's another example I think of how um you know I I, I think he I think he fits in with the wallpaper of this movie uh but yeah but, absolutely yeah. but also um the the script I mean the script is bad um but I don't know. It's, it's bad in a way that I like a lot. Um, it's, it's so kind of like extreme and it's badness. The, the central premise just to begin with that, like somebody would frame <laughs> themselves for murder and then, you know, just to prove a point basically. And then <laughs> like the, the one, the one thing that could possibly get them off is their, their buddy who's a newspaper publisher has so much sway in the community that he can like snap his fingers and overturn a conviction <laughs> Um, and you know, with just some photographic evidence, and you know, it'd be you know, the, it's the perfect plan unless the guy just accidentally happens to get <laughs> caught in a car accident, and then uh oh, hasn't it, there's no no copies of the photos, you know, nothing else. I mean, it's it's a it's a madness, and then you know, to add on top of that, the final twist that actually he did commit the murder. You know, spoiler. Um, you know, it's, it's so, it's so extreme that I, that I kind of, I think it goes back around again and I kind of like it.
0: Yeah. You know, it is like, you guys are calling this script bad and it's like, maybe good wouldn't be the word I would be to describe it, but there's it's riveting. It's Enough. riveting. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel, yeah. I love, I love the you places. You want to know what happens. I like the places it goes because yeah. it is, it is just like, cause the, the premise is so absurd where. You know, you get a, a nice father-in-law, uh, you know, son-to-be friendship where they're like, damn, capital punishment, you know, is fucked up. Maybe we yeah. should do something about that. And, um, yeah. you know, kind of has, but it also, it it, 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 it the twist kind of makes sense in retrospect to me where it, you know, right, you know, from the, the beginning, it, it, it does seem like this is kind of like a somewhat sleazy endeavor for... Yeah this Dana Andrews character. And I always love, you know, a lot of crime films do that where like, you know, the person who's investigating is also just secretly kind of, uh, Enjoying the seedy milieu that They're in and well kind yeah of,
3: that's the thing yeah. he doesn't Feel like yeah. a fish
0: out of water when he First goes to those clubs and
3: like hangs Out with the girls and that's what Really makes this feel like classic Kind of 50s b-noir is You know it's Dana Andrews hanging out with all these Cabaret girls who have You know the most insane deranged East coast accents uh, <laughs> Sounding like Sid Charisse And singing in the rain when she's getting her Accent training you know
4: We're trying to find out who killed Patty Green. Anyway, if there's any cooperation you can give us... For Pete's sake, tell him I can't stay here and drink any more of this coffee
3: and you know he, he like fits right in kind of and the the film feels like it fits right in you know it's in the in the vein of like kiss me deadly or something like that where again yeah it's not like the crazy chiaroscuro black and white it's more of a flat gray and white uh but like it's so plainly seedy and evil uh that you can't help but look at it you know yeah uh and and that's what i love in that realm of like not so stylized be noir uh yeah. just like the raw seediness of it
4: yeah like it is riveting and i think you go along with it the The film creates its own universe its own internal logic to make you go along with it. i think maybe the fact that the movie is so plain looking and you know dana andrews is such a sort of like plain matter of fact hero Um, Mm -hmm. like like maybe maybe if the movie were shot in a more passionate way with you know the heavy double indemnity shadows and it was it was more it was it was stylized in a different direction it would almost be too much but the sheer matter-of-factness I think helps the material
3: yeah I mean that's the thing like part of what's bad about the script is that you know part of this premise is he's kind of shuttling his marriage for now uh but he's keeping it close because it's the stepdad that he's you know using for this whole scheme uh so he's just like putting it on the back burner for now but you really like don't know anything about his relationship with that woman from minute like seven until minute 80 almost like you really there's nothing there but if you were to fill it in with more scenes of their relationship and whatnot and try to round this out as a drama, it wouldn't have that streamlined B noir feel and it would be weaker for that, you know? So you kind of have to pick your poison.
2: yeah. I mean, I think like the sloppiness of the script in those angles, just for me, just like adds to the sleaziness. Like the fact that it's like, they don't even consider that like, for like them them doing something under the guise of like oh well we're bringing like like we're we're calling to attention the death penalty and this is a social issue the fact that they don't even consider like how brazenly selfish it is to like torment your loved ones to like get embroiled in like a murder case I think just adds to like like uh, certainly unintentionally but it adds like to the depravity for me yeah no absolutely and i feel like even if
3: the the social issue stuff of it isn't that well handled and i feel like Honestly, the most expressive part of this is the opening credits. I think, uh, where you have like the lights kind of flickering a little more, and a guy just like flicking the execution switch back and forth in front of a jury, and you're like, "Oh man, I already know what the stakes are. To this movie, this is gonna be some, this is gonna be some life and death shit right here." Uh,
4: I. <laughs> I like the movie I've, almost as like a parody of a social issue movie because yeah I was going to say it's yeah, it's yeah. 10 minutes longer than
3: a short film about killing by Kieslowski. Which one would you rather see? Both of them <laughs> have essentially the same message. One of them goes about it in a much more intelligent way and is a more respectable film and I think is legitimately great. I love the Kieslowski. But I'd rather watch this because you're going to get the same message in a blunt delivery with a more fun uh, genre way of delivering the message I guess and uh, I don't know I, I think this is a pretty great movie I, I think there's definitely it's not like one of my favorite Fritz Lang movies or anything like that uh, but I think like on its own terms it does exactly what it wants to and I'm I'm going to go four out of five bullets on this one Malcolm any uh, closing thoughts and a rating on
0: this? Yeah I'll go four out of five bullets yeah I, you know I feel like it is I, for like a social issue movie or you know how you think of a social issue movie it does it does kind of I guess fumble that in a sense but I feel like it has much more interest in you know pulling the rug under from under you and you know uh, revealing a twist that you couldn't see coming or whatever just to kind of uh, the twist by the way
3: being that this murder he's framing himself for he
0: did in fact commit yeah and and I guess it's like that sounds like a twist that you could predict but it's like the movie shows nothing to indicate really I guess maybe I don't know maybe maybe I I didn't see anything but I feel like it does I think it's purely playing with viewer expectations like as these social issue movies are getting more popular and stuff like that and
3: I think there is you know you could make a you could make an exception of a little uh auteur doing like media critique i mean the fucking trial is uh filmed for television and you see the way that the television reporters frame the coverage differently and everything like that and like there's a little bit of playing with audience
0: expectations there i think yeah and i feel like it's you know intelligent enough with it's like treating the intersection of like the law and media and kind of how you know these this duo this son-to-be father-in-law duo kind of want to to play with that is kind of kind of interesting it kind of reminds me of like it's like a one of uh the classic type of auteur movies kind of like a what if like a riddle movie or whatever where it's like they just have a, a crazy concept and they make a movie out of it kind of like a. I don't know if any of you guys seen the kiss before the mirror by james whale but it it, it kind of reminds me of this movie where the whole movie is very uh premise heavy where the premise of that one is uh a lawyer has a friend who kills his wife because he caught her cheating and you know he describes how he caught her cheating and the lawyer uh, is realizing oh wait i think that's happening to me my wife is also cheating on me so he just tries to get his friend off you know not guilty so that he could kill his wife and find a way to do it legally or whatever. Um, I don't know, just kind of like a fun, what if scenario and the kind of like playing with the justice system,
3: all of your, what ifs yeah, yeah, playing, you can't like, I'm not actually touching you with the justice system. Uh, you know, something like that. Like it's very like, you should you should take your life a little more seriously dude <laughs> that kind of category of movie <laughs> pretty
0: sick. so yeah just a you know fun hypothetical scenario that lang <laughs> plays out here you know something that you might just think about late night that he decide to turn into a movie so uh, good job fritz lang
3: what about you jt do you think about doing this kind of thing late at night
2: um yeah a, a lot of the time yeah i'm i'm going to go four bullets uh, as well I, like, Malcolm, you brought up the puzzle aspect, and I would be remiss to mention, like, I mean, I I think it, there's no, like... This movie doesn't go about itself in a way where it's like you're trying to unlock a mystery. But the poster on Letterbox is so funny. It has like it's like puzzle pieces. It looks it's like an cool. autism speaks <laughs> like uh, like logo with like puzzle pieces and Dana Andrews like in the middle. Um, but yeah, no, I the movie is just like such for something that has like such a bleak defeated like kind of atmosphere around it. It's also just so like sleazy and fun. And just like those moments there like when you're like when like before there's the reveal of like Dan Andrews like actually having done it. It's just like I, you're just like incredulous to see him like flip the switch when he goes into the club with like uh his uh like would be like father-in-law and then just becomes like an entirely different man. Just like, I don't know, it's it's just pulpy and fun. And I had a great time with it
3: in our guest of honor will any uh, any closing thoughts on this film that you brought on and a uh, score of one to five bullets.
4: Well, I love the movie just in addition to everything else that was said as like a, a final chapter in Fritz Lang's American career, because among other reasons, I mean, Baldwin called it as i said an utterly shameless apology for american justice and i might not have phrased it quite that harshly but it is funny after movies like fury movies like m that are quite i think uh engaged with the idea of you know they're they're fairly liberal films metropolis is you know quite a liberal weimar era germany movie about like oh why can't uh, the rich and the poor all get along you know that kind of thing like he, he and presents... uh,
3: fury is about liberals ganging up on innocent men <laughs> yep, yep. <laughs> <laughs> it happens. well
4: he presents himself as a very kind of like socially conscious guy on the right side of a lot of issues throughout his career and then i just kind of like The ending of this movie is being like, fuck it. You know what? You know what? Maybe he is guilty. Maybe, maybe the death, maybe we do need the death penalty. Have you ever thought of that? (laughs) Uh, 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 Screeching, uh, uh. screeching tires as he runs off. Um, It is utterly shameless, and, you know, for all those reasons, I think I'm going to give it five bullets, even though four is the more rational grade.
3: Well, we didn't bring you on here to be rational. We brought (laughs) you on here to be Will Sloan, Uh, uh, Canada's favorite film critic. uh,
4: Oh, guys, (laughs) come on now. (laughs) You're going to make me cry.
0: I was seeing some videos of some prison violence today. <laughs> let's just let's just say I don't know man. I don't want to I don't want to go over there.
3: Was that your pre-game viewing before you came over here?
0: <laughs> I was just scrolling through the timeline, you know, you never see what okay. pops up. Um, but that's yeah, true. We kind of
3: follow different people on some... Twitter. For me, it's a lot of <laughs> basketball clips, movies, stuff like that. For you, it's a lot of prison vibes. Well, violence. I mean,
0: I, <laughs> these were two, they were in rap gangs. So that's well, why, you know. I like
3: rock music. Yeah, you're, so. you're,
0: yeah, you like rock prison videos. All those rock and rollers getting locked up. I've
3: never heard of a rock and roll artist being in prison. So I don't know. <laughs> we'll be back on the stuff, And we're back on Extended Clip. It's everybody's favorite segment. Malcolm in the middle. Life is unfair. Malcolm, I'm going to ask you this. Life been, Is this a life check? Well, yeah. I'm going to do a little life check here. It's been, I've seen you, but we haven't talked on a microphone together in like three weeks. I've True. seen you a few times in that time period, but... for the the royal we uh,
0: how are you? (laughs) yeah let's right. let's give a uh, good life update life's been really great lately you know I've been I helped uh, um, what do you call Eddie's roommate move that was cool Um, you didn't help me move no well you didn't ask (laughs) closed mouths don't get fed Oh, um, I'll give you something for your mouth. But uh, so, it's uh, <laughs> 1954. we got to stop doing it. No more life updates. The first. We, can't, we can't let these people know how I'm living. <laughs> it's fucked up. <laughs> it's a fucked up way of life. <laughs>
3: <laughs> We've talked about a few of the films I really like from 1954. You know, it's funny. I actually, uh, I mean, this one's a little obvious. You, ever, you guys ever heard of a film called Rear Window? Uh, I actually just... Uh, Rewatched that uh, about two days ago, moved into the new place and threw that on as kind of the kind of the inaug- inauguration 4K
0: disc. So what are you going to be doing in this exactly. apartment? You're gonna be see peeping? that's the
3: thing as you can see there's not really much of a view. Malcolm we are in my room here and all we can really look into is the room like diagonal from you Nobody and that room, always just, into. Uh, that room always just has a dog like the dog is just the face in the window and I like that but if I stare at the dog too much it starts barking and doesn't stop for like an hour. So I it's kind of like playing with fire, you know? Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's my review of rear window. Right <laughs> over Hitchcock. It's like playing with fire. They, you kind
0: of did a rear. You're like, what if I did it in real life? And it, eh, it wasn't so fun. No, you know?
3: I mean, it's the ultimate uh, cinephile uh, allegory, you know, it, it, the problem of the movie, like it, he can't physically get pussy from Grace Kelly because he's too attached to watching his neighbors. Like he like, w- will not allow it to happen. He's like, "No, I want to do this instead." Uh and then the only way he can like be attracted to her is like putting her into the movie essentially. And it's I mean, who who hasn't been there? Who hasn't uh <laughs> Uh but anyway, uh anyone else want to speak on any 54 movies?
2: Um there's one I want to briefly shout out that also I feel like since we we're talking about a movie with a kind of like wild premise and throughline there's this uh, George kukor movie from 54 with uh uh Jack lemon called It Should Happen to You where Jack lemon meets this like girl in the park who she had just uh lost her like job as like a model or something and she has like a check and he's like a he's a documentary filmmaker and through some like i don't know through some dumb bullshit in their conversation uh she winds up she wants to make a name for herself and she winds up using like i think her last paycheck to like just put out like a billboard with like her name on it to like get attention and then i think that sort of like spurs like a career for this woman and it's just like one of those like dumb like i don't know just weird goofy rom-com things that's just like oh this fucking dumb blonde like puts out a billboard for just a person <laughs> and uh i don't have many like strong memories of it it's pretty just like i don't know pretty good but uh yeah fun little detour
3: any other fun uh 54 55 hits before we move on yeah, yeah
4: i
0: gotta or you go you go will
4: yeah, I got one. It's a Three Stooges comedy called Musty Musketeers. It is uh, <laughs> probably 75% recycled footage from an older Three Stooges comedy called Fiddler's Three. Um, and I would say most of the best footage comes from that film. But nevertheless, <laughs> uh, I am I am counting it as a 54 release. Uh, yeah, the, new, the the new footage is pretty bad, and the old footage isn't that great either. But it has this this <laughs> one clip that I've been kind of just like, over the last two weeks, I've probably watched it three hundred times. I've just been having it on mm-hmm. repeat. It's this clip where it's like they're they're you know the Stooges are in like old England and they're calling each other like Shempeth, you know Moeth, Larryeth, and uh, Mo is gonna like nail a horseshoe onto a horse. And Shemp is trying to, like, lift the horse's leg. And while he's doing it, he lifts his own leg. And Mo uh, nails the horseshoe into Shemp's foot. And, you know, the, di- the <laughs> difference in this scene full-on like traumatized me as a child um because it's one of the most unpleasant things i've ever seen and shemp is so different from curly because he really leans into the pain much more than curly does he like (laughs) screams in agony you really feel that that he 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 gets hurt so that would be my 54 pick
3: (laughs) any you know there's kind of a golden rule we talked about hell's a poppin uh a few weeks ago and you know if if Shemp's in it, it's worth watching. Oh, it's hey, just, man, it's, brother, yeah,
0: <laughs> <laughs> gotta have Shemp.
3: We um. you know we barely missed 1953's Booty and the Beast in this one.
4: <laughs>
3: uh, I think this one, I Booty and the Beast, is one that I saw on 35 millimeter at oh, the New nice. Beverly. I bet it just uh, fucking it's, shimmered. Oh Yeah and like people were so Upset like it actually people like Didn't want to watch it like there Were there were people laughing and there were also People that were like just like No like I don't like this I'm gonna go get Snacks right now oh my uh, God, before uh, Before a Preston Sturges double Feature oh, I guess, Those you know, people
4: need the, to be fucking Murdered they need to yeah that, be the high Minded people shot yeah. in the head <laughs> That's <laughs> that's fucking Ridiculous
0: man just just sit Down in your seat man just take it <laughs> I got a 1954 movie. Speaking of Tarantino, if you look at the Wikipedia page for this movie, one of the first things is a Tarantino endorsement. He calls this the best prison film ever made. Oh, I know it's a cell block. Yeah, yeah, I love it. Uh, Great movie, you know, great movie about some violent men on the fringes of society. And kind of like uh this kind of political game they play as they you have this write. fixation on violent
3: thugs and i think it's a negative <laughs> influence on the podcast I, I
0: really i i guess that was a streamlined thought of what we were talking about earlier i didn't even quite realize <laughs> that but uh i saw that video and it made me it made me sympathize for the prisoners man because you know there's some fucked up shit going on in the prison all these fucking wardens and guards they turn a blind eye to it so what do you think about that eddie Huh? That's pretty messed <laughs> up. <laughs> That's
3: fucked up, don't you think? So I uh, just learned about that, and I also just learned about prison reform, and I'm getting really into it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, a movie you could watch is *Riot* in Cell Block 11, and uh, I mean, some great riot scenes. You know, Siegel knows how to film some violence. But also, you know, some great, you know, discussion type scenes about like the conditions and, you know, it's kind of this all out battle. And really at the end, it's kind of just a small victory for the prisoners, just as like the mentally insane people are taken to in- asylums instead of, you know, being in the general population. And uh, it's just a, a really great picture. And uh, I don't know, sequel one of my favorites. So I had to get him on the on the board. All right,
3: let's uh, let's let's move on to Timeline B. Good night, Timeline A. You were very fun this week, but uh, now we're moving to the glorious 80s. And uh, 1984, there's so many awesome movies. I don't know why I want to talk about bad comedy. I want to talk, like, we, we did an episode on crackers. That's remember? like our third episode. Yeah, was- remember how bad crackers was? <laughs> That's like Louis, mm. Louis Mal coming to the U.S. and doing, like, a bad studio comedy. Yeah. <laughs> One of the most boring formulas you could imagine. But you know what's even worse than Crackers for 1984 comedy is fucking Police Academy.
0: I've never seen it. Police <laughs> is
3: Academy it? is those it. movies suck ass.
4: Will, are you a fan of the Police Academy movies? I'm not sure I've ever seen the first one, but I've seen a lot of the sequels. I've seen two, <laughs> three. I know I've seen. I've definitely seen seven. Like I skipped all Where the way. Where they go to, to Russia? Yeah, yeah, mission to Moscow. Uh, yeah,
3: mission to Moscow. I mean, at least there's kind of a point to it, but I don't know. I don't know if there is actually. But uh, I don't know. I think I, I really glorify like the mid '80s because there's so many awesome genre movies and stuff like that. But it's hard to think because it's hard to say that because like my favorite genre is comedy. I just I love to laugh. You know, uh, <laughs> mid '80s comedies were so bad like there were like almost no great comedies other than like Woody Allen was making serious movies you know Uh, Albert Brooks couldn't get a movie made at this point James L. Brooks uh, well he had broadcast news in the mid 80s I guess I feel like there's a certain
4: kind of guy who like really romanticizes the John Landis like you know Dan Aykroyd shit that was coming out at the time and I'm not exactly and those
3: movies are not very good those movies like they have a ceiling like some of them are pretty good but they have a ceiling like a hard 3 star ceiling kind of none of them are great films uh at least in my opinion uh, but there's great sleaze of course like body double and uh, special effects by Larry Cohen is kind of an essential film. Uh, Heavenly Bodies I think is my standout like underrated 1984 movies though it's like an aerobics size movie uh, that it turns like very competitive toward the end uh, so if you want to watch people in like spandex like dancing and like working out very competitively uh, on in like 80s videotape sheen Heavenly Bodies is the way to go
2: Okay. I'm gonna do a nineteen eighty four Armand White style Ooh. Better Than. Okay. Um, okay, so everyone is nineteen eighty four, the the music movie of that year, Jonathan Demme's Stop Making Sense. Okay. But Ooh, my better than which I don't actually think this is a better movie. I just wanted to bring <laughs> it up to talk about Commitment, it. Commitment, commit. Uh, Hal Ashby's uh, 1984 Neil Young solo trans let's go which is like significantly like less seen I mean I think because it's never had like a really good like restoration or anything but it's a pretty solid performance of like Neil Young doing the cool like vocoder stuff just like jamming out he plays some of the hits there as well but yeah no it's a lot of fun
3: yeah he plays the hits like through the trans era vocoder versions of them right like it, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's very weird and disarming and people really didn't like that sound even though it was like you know the whole approach to it is very sentimental and like very like I don't know it's it's hard it's hard to imagine people like being that violently anti like a Neil Young record when he was already like 15 years into the game you know
2: yeah no I mean that's some of his most like personal like songs I feel like I think there are a lot of stuff about like his relationship with his son on that one great album A great concert movie. O.C. and
0: Stiggs, 1985. You guys heard of this movie? It's getting a restoration on Blu-ray. Yeah,
2: people are saying, Uh, finally.
0: Finally. And I I am a big fan of this movie, and it kind of touches on what we were discussing with, like, 80s comedies not really scratching that itch. You know what I mean? Mm. Kind of a lot of, like, high school stuff. And O.C. and Stiggs is definitely kind of, I feel like, touches on the Landis stuff, maybe it's kind of more of a parody of like the Porky's style of uh, comedy, which I kind of, Porky's is so like repulsively, like the, like just kind of a repulsiveness to Porky's that I do kind of find fascinating. Like, you know, high schoolers putting their dick through the girls, you know, room shower, you know, pretty, pretty, Pretty
1: crazy yeah, stuff for a you're high school fascinated movie. By
3: it. <laughs> you're also a fan of waiting. This is like waiting.
0: this is a genre that appeals to you. Porky, that's I, those movies aren't related in any way, man. Porky's waiting. <laughs> I think there's a sensibility
3: relationship.
0: That, oh, I get I get what you're saying now. With the, I, don't, I don't even remember those scenes, but um, <laughs> I guess that's what you think about when you think about that. I think about how cool Ryan Reynolds is in that movie. That's that's what I think about. Um, But yeah, I I was seeing sticks
3: honestly if they just like re-released waiting in theaters like and pretended it it never came out and the pitch to people was just like yeah Deadpool is like a mean waiter like (laughs) that movie would make a billion dollars
0: Reynolds that's that is like the Reynolds is at his full powers in waiting oh yeah no he's
3: that's like 18 years before Deadpool and he's already doing Deadpool I mean that's kind of why I hate to be a a Deadpool hipster (laughs) uh, a comedy Central (laughs) hipster (laughs) I like deadpool
0: before he was cool no
3: i actually really didn't like that movie and it was yeah. on comedy central fucking like every other day yeah uh, a few years after it came out and i especially the comedy central edited version you don't even get the full impact of the bad words so it's like what's the point
0: yeah
3: enough about waiting uh 1985 had such better movies than what was that 2003s waiting i think Oh <laughs> five. Any 85 movies you guys want to shout out before the end of the segment?
4: Yeah, I have one. It's called uh, Ninja Terminator by Godfrey Ho. I don't know if you guys, I don't know how familiar you guys are with Godfrey Ho, but he uh, worked at this company in Hong Kong called IFD Film and Arts Limited, where they would just buy up movies from all over Asia, you know, Thailand, the Philippines, Korea. Those are some big markets. And they would, um, you know, chop out kind of 20 minutes at random and then they would add ninja footage and it didn't even really matter to what, you know, oftentimes they would buy dramas, you know, like soap opera type movies. And, you know, at the end there'd be the reveal that like the characters were ninjas all along. And then you'd have these (laughs) like, you know, and, and like the new scenes would have just like white guys that they found at the chunking mansions, just like (laughs) backpackers basically that they put, you know, bandanas on. But Ninja Terminator is probably the best one because uh, the movie that they got uh, is actually kind of okay. They got an actual South Korean martial arts movie with Wang Jang Lee, the South Korean super kicker from Drunken Master. He was the villain in that movie. And the ninja stuff uh, featuring Richard Harris, uh, sorry, Richard Harris' son, big difference. Uh, also, you know, prime, <laughs> prime stuff. So if you if you watch only one Godfrey Ho movie, and you should watch them all, but if you watch only one, it should be that one.
3: Um. Before we end the segment, I just want to say if you want to like have fun with an action slot, like an action, just general sleaze movie, maybe some horror too, uh, this 84 to 86 realm is like, that's why the studio comedies aren't that good, but the action and horror movies are all really funny. So it's like you have Cobra and Night of the Creeps. And Texas Chainsaw Two, and Death Wish Three, and Nightmare on Elm Street Two, and To Live and Die in L.A., and Year of the Dragon, and Police Story, uh, like it, and the stuff, you know, Larry Cohen's the stuff. Uh, one that's more self-serious, I guess, would be uh, Toby Hooper's Life Force, but that's still pretty goofy and fun. Reanimator, like this, is mm-hmm. just like the peak of. I mean, yeah, that's that's what was really good from '84 to '86 was these. Super fun genre movies that were often unintentionally, sometimes intentionally funny. We'll be back on extended clip.
1: Are you a visiting town, Miss? Or are you? Are uh, you live here? Or what? I uh, don't live here. Oh yeah, I live in New York City. No kidding. What is Manhattan, or what? Manhattan. Thirteenth Street between Second and Third. Little. Oh, that's on uh, the Rico. East Side, of East side, yeah, you can get very east. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've been there. I've been on Third Avenue, as a matter of fact. Mhm. Yeah. Third Avenue. No, but through the lost mm-hmm. weekend with Ray Meland. Yeah. No. Yeah. yeah, that's what I feel like right now. Okay. I got another girlfriend named Tigger.
3: And we're back on extended clip. Kamikaze Hearts by Juliet Bashore uh, from 1986 is the second film that we're going to talk about. Will Sloan, you pervert. Uh, what what is it about this movie that you wanted to talk about beyond the pure sleaze? What what is it about? Like, what is Kamikaze Hearts and why does it stick out to you?
4: Well, it's a pseudo documentary. It's largely staged and constructed, um, but also built on what appear to be some very real truths. And I don't know. I just find it a very moving film, and I'm not 100 percent sure why. I think maybe maybe we could figure that out while we're here today. Um, But I think if if I were, I don't know, if I were trying to guess why I find it moving, it's like, you know, porn, you know, it's a genre where uh, everything is ostensibly revealed. But, you know, we all know it's a very fake genre as well. Like, you know, the sex worker doesn't really love you. She's she's there because you're paying her. And, you know, here's a movie with these two real porn stars, one in particular, who's you know when this is made is sort of an icon in the industry, and the the movie is kind of about this negotiation of how much they're willing or able to keep to themselves, keep to each other, and you know how how authentic they can be and should be in both like the private and the public and the semi-public realms in this um, business that is contingent on revealing all. And at the end of the at the end of the movie. You get to something that's sort of like truth, and it's not a particularly surprising truth, but it's it's been such a struggle to get there that I find it very moving.
1: Uh huh. What's your next movie going to be? Uh, no, my next movies? movie is the uh, the movie that I'm filming right now at this very minute. Um, uh, it's called uh, Truth or Fiction. That's what I call it, and it's a movie about uh, myself and my girlfriend who I love very much, and it's, uh... It's, uh, There's a microphone that's taking place right now. Don't worry, you guys aren't being filmed.
2: I have a real bone to pick with you, Will. Oh. oh. It's, uh... We, like... Th- this is a real fucking... I mean, I, I find it particularly moving as well. It's a real bummer. This... I had a great... Uh, Maybe not great time with this movie, but it is a great film.
4: You were all lubed up and ready to go. Yeah, I
2: know. Will Sloan's (laughs) bringing a porno to the table. Yeah. I mean, porno adjacent. I'm ready to go to like, this is going to be the wettest sliz I've ever slapped my shit to. (laughs) And then what do I like? What do I discover? But ugh oh uh, heroin my, my drug heroin. abuse my god were you were you, were you edging
3: for the first like 55 minutes <laughs> uh, yeah and then you
4: were just like ah <laughs> yeah, like,
2: it, it, nothing's good nothing's happening here but uh yeah no
4: well i i think you still could theoretically like if you pause it at certain moments and just trying to try to forget the context around those moments i, th- I think you could pull it off
3: well, I mean, for some, we had a lot of fun here, but there's nothing to come to about heroin overdose. Yeah, but, you know? yeah.
0: Put your put your penis away, even if you're into it. You know, even if I mean? you're, we into don't want to
3: That needle right in your pee hole. Yeah, I guess.
0: <laughs> I guess that's what I. I don't know, man. I don't shoot up. I don't know if you could you could do it like that. <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. Sorry, you're gonna have to help me with the names.
3: here, will. Uh, who, who's the main? Uh, famous porn star lady in this.
4: Right. Her name is Sharon Mitchell, and I I think she's probably, like, I don't know, maybe about 30 when this movie is made, which makes her, like, a vet, you know, a long, long, long veteran in the industry.
3: Yeah. Yeah, well, and that makes sense with what I'm going to say. So her persona through the movie is, like propped up so much when malcolm and i were watching it he said it was like a sports documentary and i was thinking the same thing you know it's like these talking especially in the first like 20 minutes or so it's these kind of like talking heads of people talking about her, and then these scenes of her behind the scenes, just like being a boss, you know. Be- and, uh, and and it's like all of this like mythology almost of how cool she is. She's the greatest uh, fuck
0: of all it, time. Yeah, <laughs>
3: exactly. Like there's there's that one interview where it's like the person's just like you know she's the kind of girl you could just fuck, you know. <laughs> and it's like just describing just like an athlete kind of like a sturdy role player athlete or something. And uh, I think that the the end being as sad as it is, uh, is a good way to cut that down to size, because it's like, you can't be mythologizing these people. Look what they're doing. Well, it's that's it's that's disgusting. disgusting. But that's <laughs>
4: <laughs> Jesus Christ. <it's> so funny. <laughs> that's the <laughs> whole point of the movie. Eddie, can, uh, is to kinda, uh, pull back from Swerve
2: <laughs> territory. <laughs> uh, no, I mean, it's like that was so I, I good. Think Fuck. I, uh, 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 it. Like. It does, I don't know, it (laughs) occupies a very interesting, like, intersection, because it does, like, obviously all filmmaking is exploitative, and, like, it certainly calls that to question, while also, like, I don't know, how sex work can be empowering, and there are, like, certain moments where they're, like, relishing in that as well. I mean, the two can... The two can both be true, certainly, and I think the film, like, conveys that.
3: No, absolutely. I think uh, it's moving while it's hyping up the mythology because it's, like, this is something that these people... See as an art the same way that we value music, film, painting, literature, whatever. Uh, the way Will values pornography, huh. uh, I don't quite put it on that values list yet. Uh, I don't know why I said yet there. I hope I never
0: it's do. But,
4: you know, <laughs> uh, if you, yeah, if you if you do the Malcolm Gladwell ten thousand hours, I'm sure you'll I'm sure you'll get there. <laughs> yeah, uh, you, sh-
0: you should respect them like an art man. The way yeah. you're you're going at it.
4: But I think the con- like the <laughs> context me? of this movie. You know, like, it, it's in this very long, like, inter-period between, like, there's that 70s, like, porno chic era, you know, that Boogie Nights era. And then there's today, where it's like, there's porn everywhere, you know. Uh, but then there's a very long period in the middle where porn is this, like, it's a it's still a fairly contained industry. There's a small number of people doing it. Um, and it's a heavily stigmatized industry, and also, you know, most of, most of what you would have heard about uh, in polite society are things like, you know, Tracy Lords or the Wonderland murders, you know? You hear about, like, the dark, the dark side of it a lot, and within, within this, you know, heavily stigmatized, heavily in the shadows industry, you know, Sharon Mitchell, who is, like, a star and uh
1: mm-hmm.
4: here is you know the the backdrop of this movie is they're making a, a porn film that is vaguely based on carmen the opera of all things and uh i looked into it and this was actually not a real movie this was a fake movie that was constructed mm-hmm. for the production but you know it's also a time when the whole industry has migrated to the west coast and most things are being shot on video now you know the familiar boogie night story and um you know, you see the people on on the set and there's just this kind of air of like unromantic, <coughs> unsentimental professionalism um, mm-hmm. and, and a lot of sort of unenthusiasm. And yeah, there's, you know, it's, it's like very professional, very banal, but there's also something just kind of like soul sucking about the atmosphere, even in this very high end production. And, you know, in that context, there's Sharon Mitchell and then there's the other main character, Tigger Menett, who was a real performer uh, by the time this movie was made. I think she was mostly serving in behind-the-scenes roles, like a, yeah, a gopher or caterer or lighting assistant yeah, th- or whatever.
3: This movie shows her as kind of like an all-around like, utility film worker. She kind of does a little bit of everything on set here.
4: And... You know, there's this couple, and they're mostly depicted in terms of contrasts. you know, uh, the East Coast and West Coast, older, younger, you know, Tigger is maybe in her early 20s. There's this industry lifer versus someone who is very uncertain in the industry and is looking for a way out. And there's an attraction repulsion uh, from Tigger towards Sharon Mitchell throughout the film of like, she has this like brash confidence Um, This this yeah, she she carries herself like a rock star on this set. But then also like there's something very corrosive because uh, Sharon Mitchell has obviously adopted this persona to some degree in like self-defense. And throughout the movie, there are these rumors, these rumblings of Sharon Mitchell becoming increasingly erratic because of drug dependency. And that's something that in the last act um, becomes foregrounded.
3: Uh, and, and that last act is like kind of what grounds this, even though it doesn't make it any more real or fake. It's like the last act; it grounds it in terms of the mood, but it also elevates it because it becomes so much more naked as drama. It's like yeah. uh, the 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 more the movie goes on, the more melodramatic it gets. There are moments within these scenes, these behind the scenes scenes uh, that are you know played up for either comedy or drama throughout but it's not until that last 15 minutes where the monologues and the drugs really start ramping up that it really shifts into fully uh dramatized you know looking stuff and it makes sense that that's the most moving stuff because the the whole like is it real is it fiction kind of stuff it always kind of keeps you at a distance because you're not sure what's real and mm-hmm. what's not and i like that line being blurred but i think that uh there's something to be said about you know the the emotional impact of the last 10-15 minutes compared to the more uh i don't want to say like <laughs> circus uh, amusement type uh feeling of the first hour where it's like oh just look at this like there's so much going on to look at there's like people having sex on camera and they're treating it like a real film and there's these people doing all these artistic monologues and all this crazy stuff and sex all over the place and then the last 15 minutes is much more impactful than that and i just think that's you know an interesting uh comparison for yeah
0: well i feel like it's it's all part of the way the movie flows you can't really have you can't you can't have one without the other because like the that's what kind of is compelling this deflating structure of kind of like this docudrama of you know what's real what's not kind of seems to be you know collapsing in on itself and it does kind of start high where you kind of get like these you know introduction of characters and kind of like these uh, they're romantically shot, kind of like the dry, the driving shot of you know the the star, you know, in the back of the car and whatnot. And then you kind of get to know what's going on. You see the people on set, you know. You get a nice interview with a very uh, defeated cameraman, who's like, you know, we just uh, we gotta work, you know. <laughs> and it's maybe this isn't what we want to do, but uh, and you know, as the movie kind of goes along, it you know, you kind of realize, yeah, that the. The self mythologizing is kind of, you know, just a way to enrich these people's lives that, you know, it, it may not be such a glamorous profession and a lot of the people around you are either sleazy, you know what I mean? Or, you know, kind of just uh soul crushed to be there. But, you know, it is that that is kind of their way of dealing with this kind of like this mythologization of what they do. And, you know the movie, of course, is all a part of that. So, I, I find that you know very interesting and compelling.
1: And that's the most important thing of it that's free and it's true. It's a job, it's a job, it's kind of uh, it's hard times, people need work. Uh, I know how to shoot film and. Uh, I like is the cameraman I the one right?
2: who has the, uh, the Nighthawks hat on? That's the director, I think. Right? Okay, the director or, that, or he's like an AD or something. Oh, okay, he seems to be yeah. in charge. But yeah. yeah,
3: he he said at one point that his job was to keep things going. So I guess he's uh, the I, AD. I was
2: like, what's going on here? And I was like, Nighthawks is a Stallone film from 81. Yeah. Conceivably, that's what it was. And I just like the little overlap there in terms of like- Real industry talking people. About- Yeah, industry people and also what Malcolm is saying about, like, the way people are presenting themselves in this film, like, versus what their, like, aspirations truly are. Like, I mean, certainly there are a lot of people who are working either, like, on screen and off in the porn industry that have, like, more mainstream film aspirations.
1: Mm -hmm.
3: yeah no i mean the the looks on the crew sometimes it's defeated and sometimes it's played for comedy which is funny it's like in a very boogie nights esque thing like that first scene dirk diggler shoots you know you have a lot of moments like that where whether it's a a script supervisor at one point like thumbing through pages during sex scene you know presumably keeping up with just like he fucks her, I guess. Like that—that uh, that got a laugh out of me. And you know, the person holding the boom mic and stuff like that. And there's a lot of like kind of light situational humor. I know Malcolm's a big fan of light comedy. <laughs> did, did you find uh, the first you know hour of this film rather funny?
0: Yeah. Well, no. Yeah. There's. I mean, that's what's also. It's not. You know, it's a very playful film. You know, and it's like it, it likes to. I don't know, uh, entertain the the audience, you know, to really try to, like you said, kind of give it like a circus light atmosphere. So there's like a a bit of lightness to this, you know, industry that you might not uh, expect, you know, like Will saying, you know, a lot of what was mainstreamly known about the porn industry is kind of like the dark, you know, darks, and, you know, it's here in this movie to a certain extent, but, you know, it's also, there's also some yeah something about it that's somewhat normal too oh yeah it's you know, it's like, a business
4: it's a set, yeah. like any other um and people are like you know doing work and getting paid um i you know for the first hour of this movie i i i think like why does it need to be this docu fiction experiment like i wonder why you know it it has such a ring of truth it feels so much like what these sets probably were like that you think why couldn't it just have been a regular documentary why they have to construct this like weird carmen porn film uh to pretend to be shooting and i wonder if it's just that 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 one remove of artificiality gave the two stars and everyone else involved this ability to sort of like breathe and become more authentic because like you know there's that. There's that famous, really bad documentary about John Holmes that was that Paul Thomas Anderson quoted from in Boogie Nights. I think it's called Exhausted. That was, you know, this like hagiography of John Holmes, where you know, when Mark Wahlberg is saying like, I've, I've, you know, I've saved marriages. You know, people watch my films and, and they they tell me they learned how to fuck their wives. You know, all that comes from that movie. And like that movie is this, you know, it's, it's the porn industry is an industry that's so on the defensive that um, it, it produces a sort of hagiography like that. But maybe because this movie is this positions itself as this docu experiment that allows people to sort of unclench a little bit and reveal a truth about uh, themselves and also the industry that would not have been possible in something that was more of a straightforward documentary. Yeah, no, I think
3: that totally makes sense, and especially with what people say about performance in this movie. And I mean, people are always, you know, in a character when they're, you know, getting fucked on camera or fucking on camera, whatever, having sex on camera. Uh, I don't know why I had to make that differentiation there. Uh,
0: Hey, there's a difference.
3: uh, I guess so. I don't fucking know. Uh, It's real players. It's all acting, isn't it? Uh, I I only make love
4: personally. Oh yeah, (laughs) (laughs) that's real.
3: Um, But regardless, I think that treating it as this like fictional remove does get you just as close as you would uh, because of the defenses that you're going to put up in a real documentary and also just lets the filmmakers plan everything, you know, Uh, in anything you read about this film. Uh, You could find out that like everything was pretty extensively storyboarded at least like it's all planned. There's not like written dialogue and stuff, but it's all very planned and obviously just watching it the way it's cut together. uh, It's cut together in a very narratively serving way. Uh, and so it it does just ride that kind of uh, zelig esque mockumentary wave, but I think because the environment is so foreign to most people, and because the the actors are all from that environment for the most part, it is very convincing as real documentary.
0: Total, and it does like it does good stuff of like the documentary style, like mise en scène, where kind of like you know, there's only like maybe. Uh, maybe maybe there's another one, but there's only like one scene I could really remember where it's just kind of shot pornographically, where you're just seeing mm-hmm. some straight up, you know, sex. Where it's like usually the one of,
3: where I grabbed for the remote to turn it down. Yeah, exactly. <laughs>
0: no, yeah, me and Eddie were we're getting a little. We we're like, wow, I don't know if we should watch this together. But um, uh, well, I wasn't cu- thinking that. I was I was I was sweating hard, but um, <laughs> but uh. <laughs> But just to uh, get back on track, like so, you know, it'll like a sex scene will be happening or whatever, and it'll decide to focus on something, you know, just to the right or left of it, or like a, uh, you know, someone you know who's filming it or actually recording it. It kind of does like a playful thing of kind of like a, uh, you know, showing little bits of the pornography, but kind of giving you, you know, shifting your focus to the people on the perimeter. And, you know, I, I, I think all that stuff is, is, uh, interesting.
3: JT, I'm going to start with you here. Do you have any closing thoughts on this film? Uh, and a rating and what about your just general thoughts on pornography?
2: Okay. This is good. Cause I actually had, <laughs> uh, I had, I there was, there's something I was thinking about like throughout all of this. Um, well, first I'm just going to go with the rating. I'm going to say, uh, four bullets, and I feel like I don't know. I haven't, I haven't done the work that Brother Will has with uh porno- pornography and the pornographic arts. I it's truly aspirational. And also, all you haven't this, got your reps in. All this snickering aside, I I I am uh, I, I I am I'm being truthful here because I, I like. I think in the media that I have seen about porn, I feel like because it's sex and that's such like a sensitive subject, it really brings out the discussion of like the exploitative nature in film in a way that's a lot more like it's it's more visible and apparent. Like when like there's an argument that happens about like a blowjob that is like not scripted where it's just like you well you like take his shit out you like suck his dick and they're like no whoa 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 no like that's not like i got paid for like a fuck like you're not getting in a blow job like as well and just like when there is the element like when sex is removed from the equation in terms of like uh, work hours on like film sets and things like that and just the general exploitation of film work I feel like because like it is your body still but it's a less intimate expression I feel like it becomes more removed and pornography really brings that to the forefront and it like uh there, there's another like scene that uh and again I think like the docu fiction like hybrid, it, I wouldn't say is irrelevant but like the truth is like there and it's something that like even I don't know when you're a young person first like encountering pornography and sort of how that like shapes your like view of like sex and like the world and things like that I remember uh, like going to beat off and discovering like casting couch style pornography when I was a young boy yeah. and like just feeling like profoundly sad like just because it's like like, 13 year old
3: jt just watched rules of the game on criterion (laughs) dvd from the library and now he's feeling sad about his first time on pornhub
2: i mean it's just like because it's like why is there the next level kid why Why is the element of, like, trickery and deceit... Like, that's just, like... That's no, a not good point. Fun. It's a very good point. It, like, it just... It, it is upsetting. Like, and I mean, you don't have the words to, like, put that into, like, play as, like, a 13-year-old. But there is a moment in the movie where it's, like, the the producer... When he's like take when he's lying to the woman and like taking pictures of her and being like no I'm being sincere with you I'm being sweet with you baby like come <laughs> on like t- like just just lower the strap a little bit like be like do it natural like that like uh, like obviously in being like a planned scripted thing it just still brings but ba- I mean like the type of casting couch pornography is similarly like scripted and it's, like exploitative in a way that's not as like exploitative as the surface level is but it's still there and that like i i don't know the the film in general i feel like obviously like you're not going to create something that's like wholly positive about the environment uh, of pornography but like i understand why like sex workers like can like feel empowered and like why you can get that out of it as well but It just is sort of the perfect melding together of that angle and sort of like the punk rock kind of like porn is like a cool progressive force while also sort of like the like you can't like sweep the negative aspects of it like under the rug. And it just like entangles the two in a very beautiful way that's, I don't know, very moving. And I mean, especially tying it to like two, like one star and then, like one newcomer in the industry is a very, I don't know, impressive way to show that. Malcolm, your yeah.
3: turn. What do you, What do you think about porn? What, what do, do you think, think about, about this porn? movie? What do you give each of those things on a scale of one to uh, well, five? Oh well, well,
0: well, you get you got to pay for the page, the non existing Patreon for my. Porn ratings. You got to Venmo where, Malcolm Yeah, where I review uh, modern uh, Jack Offables, as I like to call them. But, um,
3: <laughs> Bill Simmons presents the Jack Offables. Jack Offables.
0: Um, I'm no, here with Ryan
3: Russello We're talking about the 2007 Jack Offables. Exactly.
0: Yeah. No. No, but,
3: Bill. But, you can't have Sasha Grey. She was only 17 at the
0: time. Damn, dude. Uh, yeah, but. I'm sorry. No, it's good. No, it's good. It's good stuff. Uh no, but I, I feel like I think JT put it really beautifully that it this does kind of highlight, you know, kind of two things going on, the empowerment and kind of like the nastiness of the industry and, you know, and shows that those are kind of even, you know, connected in a in a dark way and it's just a real complex thing that is has multifaceted and layered and is, you know, super difficult you know and i think that's why the movie kind of ends where it ends up it kind of gives you that uh that dose of reality kind of like that uh that middle finger in your face type of feel uh ending but uh i think you know just to talk on porn in general did i give it a rating the movie three and a half bullets for the movie but um talk about porn in general i think jt bringing up like the casting couch aspect of like pornography and kind of like a lot of mainstream pornography is like portrayed as like you're tricking the woman or like Mm -hmm. you're like I don't know. It, a lot of it's just very negative and it's, it is kind of just like scarier on a large level to kind of step back and just think about that. And, kind and of there like, is
3: a scene in this movie where the guy's like, you know, 99.9% of movies, the guy's not like this, you know, the guy's a sweetheart, you know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's like, like we are the guy's not usually a rapist.
0: Yeah. Yeah. There's a little bit of a, uh, yeah, they have a scene in this movie where there's a little bit of our porn. Yeah. And it's, yeah, not good. It's not, it's not good. And you know, we're not, uh, I, there is a lot no, of people... no one likes that. No, a lot of people, yeah, of course, no one likes that. And uh, a lot of people are on kind of like the anti-porn movement. You know, we're not we're not doing that, but it is it is kind of like, a, you know, because we're not bandwagon hoppiners. <laughs> we see people putting away the porn saying no masturbation we're jerking off twice as hard alright
3: um, <laughs> speak for yourself partner
0: um, I speak for us as a group when I say that what do you call it yeah just some of the negative a lot of the negative stuff surrounding a pornography we need to return to tradition with all these like opera style pornographies (laughs) with like lush sets and like just all these like kind of frills that no one really maybe necessarily wants when they watch porn but maybe that was like a necessary filter to keep out all the the ugliness that's been seeping in i guess that was always there yeah yeah
3: instead of carmen a hip hoppera carmen a suck cockera
0: there we yeah there we go
3: this also kind of get hype williams to direct (laughs) it get like music video style porno
0: Strangely enough, I think this is. What I, look, the, yeah. I wouldn't want to watch it. But yeah, it would make money. It yeah, it would. That would that would be a moneymaker for, for for sure. I feel like Magic Mike Three is kind of is uh, similar to this movie in a Do, way. Does kind it come of, close to softcore? No. Well, no porn. It's it's erotic dancers, <laughs> oh, but uh, okay. it, it is it is kind of like this weird like the confluence of like uh, making like erotic stuff artistic and trying to take yeah. pleasure. Or like metaphors for filmmaking I don't know Not even that good of a movie But I It did pop up When Mm -hmm. I was uh, After I watched this What? What? Oh (laughs) Come on man You need We're gonna need like Radio style Like shock jock sound effects For all the zingers In this episode
3: Uh, I I like this movie and I think it's like It's one of those things where unfortunately It's more of an admiration than an enjoyment thing uh, Because it's like I can't disagree with really anything that's been said here Mm -hmm. Uh, Like I I don't really I don't really get riled up about Like uh, like enthusiastic about Like porn or sex as an artistic expression That's the thing like I But I'm not against that either It's, It's the thing where it's like I get it. And I'm like, oh yeah. I you know what? Ideologically I get that. That's your thing. Do your thing. I'm not that into it. So it's kind of just like like the sports doc thing. It's like if I was watching a documentary about the greatest underwater basket weaver of all yeah. time. You know, it's like I don't really care that much. I'd much rather watch a movie about a basketball player. Good uh, old yeah. Ace Eddie. Keep it <laughs> clean and sex free. Yeah. <laughs> no, I just there there's there's uh there's a ceiling to the enjoyment. That's all I'm saying. Uh but I still think it's like on, on a formal level a really interesting movie. Uh I think like I don't know why I, I think it might be the, fi- the docu-fiction removed that maybe keeps me from enjoying it to the extent that even some, like, softcore uh, Pinku stuff I like because those are, like, masked as thrillers, you know, mm-hmm. that just have a couple obligatory awful to-watch sex scenes in them. <laughs> uh, but, like, you know, the the, like uh more high end studio ones for the early 70s it's like oh yeah these are like pretty fun stylish japanese thrillers that have 12 minutes of softcore sex in them uh, <laughs> this one i i don't really like i don't want to say i don't buy into the conceit i just struggle to give it like the full fledged this is a great film that you need to watch kind of thing mm-hmm. uh i think it's really good though i'm going to go 3 bullets on it um on the other hand pornography in general you know what Hey, it, more for you guys.
0: <laughs> Eddie's never watched porn before. Eddie's such a fucking ca- capper right now, like he's never watched any fucking porn before. But that's you know cool. What's really weird. I
3: actually, I actually will say an interesting part note, uh because I just watched Los Angeles plays itself again recently. The gay porn. Yeah, no, uh, that that is really. I love the delivery in Los Angeles plays itself when he uses a clip from that, and he goes. Yeah. L.A. plays itself. Fred Halstead's gay porn masterpiece, (laughs) (laughs) which is a great way of introducing that. Yeah, Uh, but it made me actually think about when I was a teenager uh, watching porn on the internet. And uh, for those not in the know, uh, up until a certain point in time, most pornography, uh, like you know, not most, but a lot of it was produced in L.A. in the San Fernando Valley, specifically in Chatsworth. I grew up. In the north, eh, central San Fernando Valley, hung out a lot in Chatsworth, Granada Hills, Porter Ranch, and I saw familiar locations a lot in porn yeah. when I was like 15. Like I would see, like I would, you know, you rode on the bang porn. bus, you, you know, <laughs> no, yeah, uh, literally uh, uh, the like, glory holes. Well, the bang bus stopped by my bus stop. Like, wow. you know, like it would be like, what the fuck, dude? Why is the bang bus picking up this girl? Like. Three houses down from just like the student wishing housing, they for could CSUN. have
2: picked you up instead. Yeah, no, but it's just—it was always ironic. To <laughs> me Eddie that you I waiting had by to, the bus like,
0: stop as I, a young kid waiting yeah, for just, the bus.
2: <laughs> look.
3: I opened my heart to you guys. <laughs> no, no, keep no, going. Just kidding. Uh, it's just a funny uh, Los Angeles plays itself moment that, in my personal. That didn't give you,
0: cinephilic history. That didn't give you a little extra juice to it as a young. You're like, no, oh, it did shit. not. It was disarming. I know. I knew that. Fu- no, it's
3: no. disarming because you want it like the movies to be a fantasy. <laughs> I get you. Okay. All right. <laughs>
0: I guess I don't know. That was weird. No, I'm going to cut that part out. Probably that was good. That's, <laughs> no,
4: no, that's you,
0: cool. Yeah, you 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 brought. We're talking about porn. You put this was a prompt that you put in the discussion. It's true. Um, Will Sloane, what uh, what do you think about the
3: big
4: P and in going into the big V? <laughs> well, I'm I'm in favor of it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think nice. I think I, th- I think I think those are that's a good thing to do. Yes. Uh, but as, as for the movie, I'm going to give it the full five bullets, of course, for all the reasons <laughs> I mentioned before. Um, as to the question of pornography, uh, it, it's too broad a topic to uh, lay down a definitive uh, answer about whether it's good or bad. But um, you, know what, you know what I will say, though? I think it's f- interesting that uh, so much of porn now is so much more like the mainstream median like level of pornography is so much more evil and grotesque now that it's like more accepted than it's ever been Um, like like the sort of rise of like weirdo like incest porn and like very kind of misogynist porn like well i mean bang bus for example i mean this is like 15 years old by this point but like the fact that it was it would always end with like them like leaving ditching the woman at the side of the road or something like that like like the sort of misogynistic revenge fantasy of the presumed incel audience um, is then and, and I think has increasingly become like central to the text you know of porn itself and you know there it, because it's become such a vast industry such a wild west there are things like I don't know if you guys heard about that there was this company called Girls Do Porn that it turns out you know beca- was this like cr- truly criminal enterprise where they were like getting women into you know hotel rooms under false pretenses telling them like the videos would, you know, be sold to private collectors in Australia or something like that. Jesus Christ. Sort of coercing them into filming and then just blasting it all over the Internet. And and like that, that channel was like, you know, number five on Pornhub. It was massive. You know, something insane like that. And, you know, it's um, I'm sure most of the industry isn't like that. But it's interesting to me that like now that it's like such an accepted fact of life or is an increasingly accepted fact of life not like what we see in this movie where it's this very stigmatized like like shadow industry um uh you know stuff the 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 conditions under which something like that can happen seem even greater and the the porn itself seems very much plugged into a sort of like you know uh, more more openly kind of misogynistic and fringe and weird than it ever has been before. Um, so that's that's my opinion on pornography. Um,
2: I I have a quick question for you Will if I may. Please. I know you're you're a little like not to, I'm an not open to tell book. on you. You're you're slightly older than I uh, us gentlemen here. Was your first encounter with pornography finding a playboy in the woods? <laughs> um
4: Uh, that's a good question you know I don't know if this was my first encounter but I did have a friend whose dad had a playboy stashed away Mm -hmm. and I did see that yes Uh, I don't know if that was my first encounter or not but I I am old enough to have grown up in a time when like print magazines like stashed away and someone's like parents like you know under the couch or something was the easiest way to see it yeah
0: now now the a lot of people came up on the iPod touch. They they got they got a <laughs> right. iPod touch when they were eleven. Well, and no, they, you're they right. Just, I mean I just I literally yeah.
4: just Googled the word porn and there are three billion seven hundred and fifty million results. So like I don't know. Like I am gonna I'm gonna try my best. I'm gonna start like this evening and then maybe by the time I'm on this podcast next I'll have like really put the work in and we'll be able to talk about this subject <laughs> yeah. with a little more expertise.
0: Yeah, we need, we need that thumbs up, thumbs down, straight yeah. up. So, yeah, we, we, we appreciate your work and the scholarly things you're doing there.
3: Oh, boy. Um, that's going to do it for this week on Extended Clip. Next time on the podcast, we're going to have the boys from A Closer Look. That's right. Returning champion Nate Fisher and new friend Will Sennett. They're gonna be on to talk about All the Marbles by uh, Robert Aldrich and Will Success Spoil Rock Hunter by Frank Tashlin. Uh that is gonna be a banger of a double feature in an episode. And until then, well, I don't I don't really have like a that was like a setup for The Balcony is closed. Yeah, yeah exactly. I that thought you were be, gonna do yeah. goodbye and goodbye. And night.
0: until then, <laughs>
3: <laughs> um, but thanks a lot to Will for coming onto the podcast again. Uh, it's it's a it's a hard he's a hard man to get a man with two podcasts and uh, you know he he's everybody's favorite podcast guest. They've been clamoring for his return, so I, I'm I'm so glad to have him back. Is there anything Will that you would like to plug for the people listening? Anything you would like to promote? Anything you would like to shout out? Anything you would like to say on our way out here?
4: Uh, Well, uh, I do have two podcasts. They're called The Important Cinema Club, which is a film history podcast, and uh, Michael and Us, which is a a culture and politics podcast. And uh, can I ask, will this podcast, uh, you know, while we're plugging things, will this podcast be out before April 18th?
3: uh no it will not
4: okay well then i, w- I will not in that case plug the <laughs> screening that we're doing in toronto so uh uh forget about that then. okay yeah well uh justin and i uh, my my important cinema club co-host are uh, inaugurating our screening series at the fox theater in toronto on april 18th and we're showing rumble in the bronx so uh, oh, come oh. on now
3: that sounds awesome uh toronto people I went to your city and it was a fair city to watch movies in, but it just got a lot fairer. Wow. What a a fucking
2: endorsement. Jesus Christ. Wow. Uh, 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 uh. What
0: the fuck was that?
2: (laughs) All right, Will, we're going to let you
3: go now. Uh, Everybody, we'll see you next time.
1: Can I ask you a question? Sure. What did you feel about the scene that we did? What, what did you think about that? Do you have anything to say about that? Well, it just wasn't... It, that scene really is not typical uh, 99.9% of 99 and 9 tenths percent of the men in this business. Uh, as you well know, and most of the women know, the men in this business are are generally, if they're, you guys want yeah, say? they're 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 lovable guys, and they're not out there. they're not women either. and they're not rapists, and they're not kinky slobs that are out to beat what do the shit What you about getting paid for using your cock? If somebody wants to pay me to use my cock, that's fine.